This episode of the Daryl Johnson Podcast is brought to you by Regent College Vancouver. Hey everyone, welcome to week seven of eight in this series, Moving Through the Beatitudes with Daryl. Today's beatitude is, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Daryl says that this beatitude in particular is Jesus bestowing incredible dignity on ordinary, broken human beings like you and I. Daryl takes the time to define peace or shalom using other portions of scripture to show just how profound it is that we are invited to be makers of it. He then goes on to share five different realities that characterize peacemaking in the kingdom of God. With all that said, here's Daryl with Blessed Are the Peacemakers. Blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. As we continue making our way through the collection of sayings we call the Beatitudes, we come to the one which is probably the best known of them all, to the seventh Beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers has inspired more music than any of the others. Blessed are the peacemaker is found on more greeting cards and wall posters than any of the others. And rightly so. For in his seventh beatitude, Jesus bestows upon ordinary broken human beings incredible dignity. Which I hope the exposition will help us see and feel today. Now, as I've noted throughout our series of studies, whenever we focus on just one of the Beatitudes, we need to do so in relationship to all of them. We saw how important that was last Sunday when we focused on the sixth Beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart involves poverty of spirit and mourning and hungering and thirsting for righteousness and gentleness and mercy. So, will you once again open your Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Here is the context. Jesus comes on the scene with what the writers of the New Testament call the Gospel of God. God's good news for the world. The word translated gospel or good news is the word euangelion, which comes into the English language as evangel. Thus, we have all these related words, evangelize or evangelism, meaning to bring good news, or evangelical, meaning people with good news. Jesus comes on the scene with God's euangelion, with God's evangel. Now, the writers of the New Testament are making a huge claim about Jesus when they connect Jesus with this word euangelion. For the Roman emperors were using it for their edicts, for their throne speeches, if you will. They thought of themselves as lords, as saviors, as redeemers of the world, and their authoritative messages to the empire were called euangelion. Now, one scholar says... The idea was that what comes from the emperor is of a saving message. It is not just a piece of news, but a change of the world for the better. So when the writers of the New Testament use this word euangelion relative to Jesus, they are saying to us something like this. What the emperors who pretend to be gods illegitimately claim really occurs here. Here is the real Lord of the world. Jesus comes on the scene with God's evangel. It is time. 
the kingdom of God has come near. And then Jesus begins to evangelize. He begins healing people. He begins freeing people from all kinds of evil. He forgives sins. He welcomes people into his family. And then we come to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Now I'm going to do the blessed our part, and you do the for theirs or for they part. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. And say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord Jesus, once again, we express our gratitude to you that you enabled Matthew, the tax collector. To remember your words and to write them down for us. Will you now in your mercy and grace help us understand and as we have been praying. More than understand, will you help us actually live into the reality of these words? We pray in your name and for your glory. Amen. Right on. In sync with God's evangel are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Dignity. Incredible dignity. In this seventh beatitude, Jesus is bestowing upon ordinary broken people incredible dignity. Peacemakers, he says. Makers. Peacemakers. Jesus is not here blessing peace lovers. Although he certainly could. Jesus is not here blessing peace seekers. Although, again, he certainly could. Jesus is not here blessing peacekeepers, although, again, he certainly could and does. Jesus is congratulating peacemakers, plain old, imperfect people, makers of peace. For most people, the word peace usually refers either to inner tranquility, peace of mind, or to an outward state, Absence of war. The biblical concept of peace certainly encompasses that, but goes far deeper and wider. Behind the word that is used here in the seventh beatitude is the Hebrew word shalom. It means soundness, well-being, wholeness. It is a word that sounds out its meaning. Shalom. Shalom is life as God intended it to be, a well-rounded, holistic existence. Shalom involves harmony with the earth, 
Harmony with other human beings. Harmony with the self. And harmony with the living God. Shalom is ecological soundness. Relational soundness. Psychological soundness. Spiritual soundness. Shalom encompasses the whole. Every dimension of life. Economic and political as well as personal and religious. For the Bible... Silencing the guns does not mean peace has come. For the Bible, feeling good inside does not mean peace has come. Peace reigns when the causes of strife are healed. As Pope John Paul II once said, Wars can be prevented not by arms, but by getting beyond the symptoms of war to the causes of hunger, poverty, and inequality. The biblical concept of peace involves so much more than inner tranquility or the absence of war. Shalom is a psychosomatic, relational, economic, racial, spiritual wholeness. Isaiah 11. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leper will lie down with the kid. The lion will eat straw like an ox. That is shalom. Isaiah 35, the wilderness and desert will be glad. It will blossom profusely. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the dumb will shout for joy. That is shalom. Isaiah 2, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That is shalom. Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are God's household. That is shalom. Having been built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That is shalom. Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. That is shalom. That is peace. You see then why I say that in the seventh beatitude, Jesus bestows on us incredible dignity. We wounded human beings are makers of shalom. Lovers of shalom, of course. Seekers of shalom, of course. Keepers of shalom, maybe, but makers, human beings, makers of shalom, only God can make shalom. Shalom is a divine reality, a holistic soundness brought into being by the holistic sound God. And yet, Jesus says in this beatitude of those he calls to himself, you are shalom makers. On this beatitude, Karl Barth rightly renders blessed as you lucky bums. When Jesus and his evangel get hold of an individual, a community or a city or a nation, something happens. Ordinary, broken people become partners in a divine work. Shalom makers. What dignity. Now, remember the observation we made at the beginning of the series. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is not describing eight different kind of kingdom people. One who is poor in spirit, another who is meek, 
another who uh, immorns, another who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Rather, Jesus is describing eight different qualities of the same kingdom person. Which means every person captured by Jesus and his gospel becomes poor in spirit. Every good news eyes person hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Every evangelized person becomes merciful. Every evangelical is called to this shalom-making vocation. Every kingdomized, every born-again, every spirit-filled, whatever language you use, every disciple of Jesus Christ is a shalom-maker. Not just lover, seeker, or keeper, but maker. Now, why is this a mark? of those who have turned around and embraced Jesus and his good news of the kingdom? Well, for two basic reasons. First, Jesus, the evangelizer, is a man of peace. He is shalom himself. Isaiah 9, the text that we recite on Christmas Eve. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Zechariah 9, the text that we will recite on Palm Sunday. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, and he will speak peace to the nations. The one who announces the gospel is the Prince of Peace who speaks shalom into being. Enter into relationship with him, get to know him, and we become, at the very least, shalom lovers and seekers. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, when the disciples met Jesus of Nazareth, they found peace, for he himself is their peace. Second, peacemakers is a mark of those upon whom the kingdom has come, because the kingdom is a kingdom of peace. The new world order, breaking into the world in Jesus, is an order of shalom. In Jesus, we see this soundness, this wholeness, this full-orbed well-being for which we were originally created. In Jesus' actions, we see shalom making in the making. Restoration of harmony with God. Restoration of harmony with other human beings. Restoration of harmony with the self. And restoration of harmony with the earth. When his new world order begins to break in our lives, we cannot help becoming, at very least, shalom lovers and seekers. And Jesus is saying we become more. We become shalom makers. Makers. Well, then, what does this peacemaking look like? And what does it look like in our city? I do not know everything about this dignified vocation. But I do know these five things. First, I know the posture for peace. That is, I know the proper stance for receiving and experiencing peace. I know that shalom is a gift. It's a gift of God. It's a gift which can finally only be enjoyed in relationship with God. The peace of God is finally realized when God is allowed to be God. On every page of the Bible, the Bible puts its finger on the root cause of the unrest and anxiety and strife that marks our world. And it is that humanity has turned its back 
on its maker. God is dead, sadly leads inexorably to violence and decay. Humanity refuses to live as creature before the creator. Human beings, even religious human beings, have usurped the place and role of God and are therefore in a state of rebellion against God. And I don't need to illustrate that. The theological declaration of Barman, written during the rise of Nazism, declares, as Jesus Christ is God's assurance of the forgiveness of all of our sins, so in the same way and with the same seriousness, he is also God's mighty claim upon our whole lives. Resistance to God's mighty claim on our lives is the root of all peacelessness. And until that resistance dies, we do not fully experience shalom. Now, is this not what the angels were declaring to us on Christmas Eve when they said glory to God in the highest and peace on earth? Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. Glory to God in the highest is the infrastructure for peace on earth. No glory to God, no peace on earth. The shalom which Jesus brings into the world is experienced when we bow the knee before the God who reigns. When we step off the throne of the life and accept our place as creatures, as children, as followers. In a speech he gave at Stanford University, Baklak Havel, who was then president of the Czech Republic, described the current world situation and concluded this way. Humanity probably will have to go through many more Rwandas and Chernobyls before it understands how unbelievably short-sighted a human being can be who has forgotten that he is not God. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. This means then that shalom making involves evangelism. Bringing the good news to people so that they can Turn around and receive Jesus as Lord and Master and Friend. After declaring the good news, God was in Christ reconciling to the world to himself. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We beg you, lay down your resistance to God and come home. Only the love of God can break that resistance. Peacemaking, therefore, involves telling our contemporaries in every way we can about this love. Telling our city that it is safe to come out in hiding. The father against whom we have rebelled will welcome us in open arms. Shalom is a gift of God experienced when we let God be God. That is the posture from which we make peace. Second, I know the qualifications of shalom makers. I know the qualifications. And they are found in the first six Beatitudes. In the first six Beatitudes, the Prince of Peace is describing people who have the capacity to be engaged in this grand divine enterprise. And what a surprise. <laughs> Peacemakers are poor in spirit. They recognize and admit their spiritual bankruptcy. 
They recognize and admit the lack of peace in their own heart. They recognize and admit the violence in their own soul. Peacemakers are those who mourn, who grieve over their spiritual bankruptcy, who grieve over the sinful condition of the world and the sinful condition of their own heart. They weep the tears of God himself over what the world has become. Peacemakers are also meek, not weak, but meek, gentle. They can resist the temptation to hurt those who hurt them. They can resist the temptation to take vengeance into their own hands. They've entrusted their lives to the king of kings and are going to let him vindicate them. Peacemakers also hunger and thirst for righteousness. Their, their appetites have changed. They crave this full orb right relatedness of God. They recognize that we live in one world and they seek the good of the whole world and not just their own empire. They treat other human beings with great dignity and, and not just as pawns in a great chess game. Peacemakers are merciful. They do not need to give to those who hurt them what they deserve. They can give to those who hurt them what they do not deserve. Pardon and kindness. They're able to put themselves in the shoes of other people and other cultures and other nations. And peacemakers are pure in heart. They abhor deceit and manipulation and hypocrisy. They can spot it in their own souls and they want it out. They want all of life to be seen in the light of God's truth and grace. They recognize their own lust for power and their desire to control. And they can discern it from the will of God. And they simply seek the face of Jesus. According to the Prince of Peace, it's the Beatitude people who are agents of shalom in the city. It's the Beatitude people who can make peace in the city. Third, I know what can happen to shalom makers. They receive the approval and blessing of God. Sometimes they receive the approval and blessing of people. And sometimes they receive the scorn and opposition of people. You see, if the first six Beatitudes give us the qualifications for peacemakers, the eighth Beatitude tells us the consequence. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Sorry, but that's the way it is. Be about the business of shalom making and we just might inherit trouble. Jesus warns. Those who follow him in the path of peacemaking, that just as people resisted him, so they will resist them. E. Stanley Jones used to say, people hate to be, stir to be disturbed even for the better. The status quo cannot handle the poor in spirit and pure in heart, especially when the poor in spirit and pure in heart let God be God in the city and want the kingdom to come. The status quo systems will pressure the disciples of Jesus into compromise or silent acquiescence. And if that does not work, the system is going to have to pressure the disciples of Jesus out. As Bishop Don Helder Camara of Brazil once said, when I feed the poor, they call me a saint. When I asked, why are the poor poor? They call me a communist. Shalom makers meet opposition and sometimes they get hurt. That's next Sunday's theme. Fourth, I know 
that shalom making involves sacrifice. Shalom making always involves a cross. <laughs> how can it be otherwise? For how did the living God make peace with us? Colossians 1, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace by the blood of his cross. Isaiah 53, the chastening for our shalom fell on him. By his scourging, we are freed. The living God makes shalom through sacrificial love. And so too we. Thus, Jesus goes on to say in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That is peacemaking. That is the way of the cross. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That is peacemaking. That's the way of the cross. Paul exhorts the Christians in Rome, never pay back evil for evil. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him a drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is peacemaking. That is the way of the cross. Again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it so well. The disciples of Jesus make peace by choosing to endure the sufferings themselves rather than inflict it on others. You see, somewhere along the way in the Christian life, we have to come to terms with the fact that the cross is not only the source of our new life in Christ, it is the pattern of our new life in Christ. The Prince of Peace, who is our peace, says to us, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself and daily take up your cross. Shalom is made and experienced through the cross, through the cross. The blood flows that heals all the wounds. And I know one more thing about our vocation. It happens one step at a time. It happens by you and I making little parts of shalom in our little parts of the city one little step at a time. That's God's grand strategy to bring shalom to the world, to release into the city all these people who are doing these little acts of shalom making. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me, the song says. Paul exhorts believers in Rome, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Let me suggest some little steps we can take towards peacemaking today. We can begin by affirming our identity and vocation. We can say, I am a peacemaker. We can say, we are children of God, sons and daughters of the author of Shalom, sisters and brothers of the Prince of Peace. By grace, we have been granted the dignity of causality I am a partner in a divine work in the city. We can then acknowledge any resistance to God that is in our hearts. We can ask God to melt this resistance so that we will let God be God. We can further acknowledge any anger in our soul. Anger against another, anger against ourselves, anger against the systems, anger against God. And we can ask God to overcome the anger in the soul. 
we can further acknowledge any fear in our hearts. It's fear that holds us back from this grand vocation. Dear God, here is where I'm afraid. Will you please overcome this fear? And then we can affirm the gospel again. We can say amen to God's evangel. We can say with Jesus, it is time. It is time for the kingdom of God to come near. Reaffirming the gospel revives perspective and courage and hope. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. Is coming. 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 Relentlessly coming. Like a seed. It is forcing its way up through all of the soil and the rocks. Like a fire unkindled on the earth. Who can stop it? No one. Nothing, no one or nothing can finally stand in the way of the coming kingdom. Shalom is coming. And Easter morning is the guarantee of that. Jesus' resurrection says loud and clear that shalom is coming. For the Prince of Peace has defeated the greatest enemy of peace. Jesus has defeated death. Shalom is coming. Blessed. In sync are the peacemakers. Makers, for they shall be called the children of God. What incredible dignity. So will you join me in making a fresh commitment to our gospel vocation, to our evangelical vocation, by praying the prayer attributed to St. Francis. You can find it either printed for you in the worship folder or on the screen behind me. And let us pray this together slowly. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Again, please. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. The Daryl Johnson Podcast is made possible by our friends at Regent College, a graduate school of theology located in Vancouver, British Columbia. Regent is all about bringing ideas that matter and wisdom that lasts to the whole people of God, and they've been doing exactly that for over 50 years. Now here's some good news. All of Regent's courses are available online this fall. So if you're wanting to take a course for credit or to audit one or to start a degree, you can do all of that from the comfort of your own home, wherever you are. Every year, students from around the world go to Regent to learn from their world-class faculty and to be formed by the global community represented there. This fall, that could be you. You can learn more at rgnt.net or just Google Regent College Vancouver.